0: The views expressed in the following program do not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB.
1: Live from the WGBB studios in Merritt, New York, there's Sports Talk New York.
0: Okay, we are back. We're back with Sports Talk New York on WGBB here on a rainy night here on Long Island. Well, we had some big news on the baseball front the last couple of days. Shohei Otani signs with the Dodgers for 10 years, $700 Cost $50 to park at City Field next year. What do you think? Where will it stop and will it stop? I ask you, the fan. I ask you the guy who stands with me for a hot dog and a soda. When will this end? <laughs> right, Brian? Well, it's only going to keep going. That, that, that's the way of the world. Well, happier, less threatening news. The Hall of Fame's committee, uh, the, the, temp- the Contemporary Committee, met to review the qualifications of several managers, umpires, administrators. Uh, they elected the great former manager, Jimmy Leland, Uh, to stand on that stage, uh, hopefully on a sun splash July afternoon at the Clark Sports Complex in Cooperstown. Lou Piniella, the great Lou Pinella, missed by one vote. And Bill White, uh, former National League president and broadcaster with the Yankees, fell a couple of votes shy. But we can look ahead, and we'll talk about this on an upcoming show. The Baseball Writers Association of America Vote takes place in January. I believe it's the 23rd, to see who else uh, will gain election to the Hallowed Shrine in Cooperstown. Well, our next guest, a local guy, always good when we can welcome someone who grew up in the area to the show. He attended West Islip High School as well as Stony Brook University, Uh, played ball in a couple of organizations, and we'd like to congratulate him for being a member of the Texas Rangers organization, of course, that won the World Series a few weeks ago. Welcome to the show, Patrick Cantwell. Patrick, good evening.
2: Hey, guys. Thanks for having me.
0: Wonderful to have you aboard, Patrick. Now, you grew up in West Isla. What what, what area of town did you grow up in?
2: I grew up on the south side of Montauk Highway, right behind Good Samaritan Hospital.
0: Ah, okay. Yeah, right right behind my alma mater, St. John the Baptist.
2: Yes. Yes, sir. I grew up playing on those little league fields right there.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We know where they are. Definitely down Beach Street. And uh, were you born in Good Sam?
2: Uh, I was born in Southside, right down the street Okay. Sure.
0: Yeah, I got you. All right. And uh, as I said, I graduated uh, from SJB. I saw that you're connected to John Habian on LinkedIn. Do you know John?
2: Uh, I I used to go to the St. John's baseball camps camp that Habian used to work. Okay, yeah. So, yes,
0: sir. Good coach, good coach, good man, John Habian. And and I don't know if you know Logan O'Hoppy. Do you
2: know Logan? I do know Logan. Um, I've actually coached Logan a, a few off seasons. Um, he was part of, uh, you know, some of the big catcher clinics that I work, catcher matrix out on Long Island run by the Long Island Titans. Uh-huh. Um so Logan and I are actually very close. I was, ironically enough, fortunate enough for him to be there when he um, played in Anaheim for the first time. He actually uh, played there for the first time against the Rangers. So that was a pretty cool moment. I got to see him and his parents. Um, nice. Nice. So that- that was awesome. Yeah, for folks who don't know,
0: Logan is another Saint John the Baptist graduate, a couple of years after me, just a few. And <laughs> uh, now with the Anaheim Angels, the uh, Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, whatever you want to call them, he's with that team. Had a great minor league career with uh, the Phillies organization and with the Angels, and he's now uh, the starting catcher out there in Anaheim. And uh, we've had Logan on the show a good, good. Good man and uh, a great future ahead of him. Now, what started you off with baseball, Patrick? Uh, out in the street, in the backyard, with a ball. What, what, what's your beginnings?
2: Yeah, it was uh, you know playing catch with my dad in the front yard when he got home from work. Um, you know, my mom allowing me to throw the the handball or the tennis ball or the baseball off the front steps and make right. diving catches on the on the front grass while uh, you know it bounced back. I'm sure. You know she's okay with the couple of broken glass doors that we had now that I'm you know all grown up, but uh you know just just my family's support from a young age of me kind of having free reign of the yard. Um, my friends were all local, so growing up you know if we needed to play a pickup game or play catch, uh there was always a resource available to me, so super, super fortunate to my family and friends for. Uh, you know, just always being there along the along the journey.
0: Nice, yeah. And of course, uh, Patrick told us he uh, played on those little league fields, kids uh, down Beach Street, across from the uh, the assisted living home, Our Lady of Constipation, I call it. <laughs> um, and <laughs> that's a story for another day. Now, who were your teams and your favorites as a kid, Patrick?
2: Uh, growing up, I was a Yankees fan. My Entire house was Mets fans, so I was uh, I was the lone ranger there, if you will. <laughs> uh, it was, uh, you know, all my friends like the Yankees. Um, they were really good, you know, in the early 90s, obviously, that stretch that they had. So uh, they were easy to root for. I love Derek Jeter, um, Tino Martinez, Bernie Williams. You know, those guys were a staple for me growing up, so mm-hmm. uh, very, very cool. What's
0: what's not to like as a kid with with those growing up with those guys on TV? That's that's for sure. We're speaking to Pat Cantwell tonight of the Texas Rangers. Now, were you a star in the league, Patrick? Were you one of the guys that uh, that led the leagues?
2: (laughs) Uh, I'm I'm not sure if you would call it a star. You know, I always just kind of. Uh, bounced around the infield or, or caught or, you know, whatever was needed of me by the coaches. So uh-huh. uh, I don't know if I would consider myself the star of the team, but uh, I, I like to pride myself on just being there every day and doing whatever, you know, the coaches asked of me.
0: Nice. And uh, your days at West Islip High School, what, what do you remember from them?
2: Uh, whew, you know, I, I remember the bond that I had with my teammates, my best friends. You know, growing up, we – um, we had two middle schools in our town, so half of us were on one team, the other half were on the other team. And once we got to high school, we, um, you know, we f- we had a pretty formidable team. Uh, we went undefeated our, our freshman year. We were on the JV team. We went undefeated, and then the next three years we we competed. And fortunate enough, our senior year to bring a Suffolk County championship back to West Islip, which hadn't been done there in quite some time. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, just. Just the after-school camaraderie with the guys going out. Uh, Coach Maletti, Coach Yuli, um, they were they were a little bit more football guys back then. So I, I remember running yeah. some sprints for doing some stuff wrong. <laughs> yeah, but uh, you know that only made us better. So um, you know I wouldn't trade those days for anything. Now after high school,
0: Patrick, were you drafted or you decided to go to college? Which which route did you take?
2: Uh, I decided to go to college. Uh, Coach Sank at Stony Brook had recruited myself. Um, one of my best friends, Nick Tropiano, uh, we decided that we would go to Stony Brook. And, uh, you know, we were we had a very good run at Stony Brook, freshman, sophomore, junior. Uh, he, was, he was drafted his junior year, and then I was drafted junior year as well, decided to go back to school. And um, senior year, we made a run to the College World Series, and then I was drafted again after my senior year.
0: Yes, yeah, Stony Brook's baseball program, Pat, it's really come a long way uh, in in the uh, last couple of years. Um, how did you get from Stony Brook to professional baseball? How, uh, tell us about that road and if there were many bumps in
2: it. Uh, I think for any athlete, you know, there's always going to be bumps in the road. Mine just so happened to be, um, you know, some injuries here and there that, you know, guys deal with. Um, Right out, of, right out of Stony Brook senior year, the Rangers drafted me in the third round. Uh, I was home for about three days, I think, after we were eliminated from the College World Series, and I got shipped off to Spokane, Washington, which was the short season team at the time uh, for the Texas Rangers, and I spent some years there from high A to double A, made it up to triple A. Um, I was traded from the Rangers to the Blue Jays, and my last the uh, last go-around was spring training um, when the COVID-shortened season. Um, I got sent home from spring training, and unfortunately, uh, you know, I just never received a call to go back. But those years that I spent in the Rangers and Blue Jays organizations, I wouldn't trade for anything.
0: We're speaking to Patrick Cantwell tonight on Sports Talk New York. Now, Pat, was there anybody in your minor league career who, who really made a difference in the process of, of you becoming a better ball player. Maybe we know the name of, of a coach or, or somebody, or it or can just be uh, someone who helped you along the way.
2: Um, you know, again, I, I leaned on my family heavily uh, during my minor league career. It's very difficult to be away and, you know, not be around family for the holidays and for birthdays and the summers. So they were always a constant in my life. Um, you know, my friends. Again, I would have friends come visit me. We had some some managers in the Rangers organization: Casey Candel, Jason Wood, Jason Hart. Um, you know, there, there's people that you cross paths with that you'll just never forget. And those guys were were just instrumental for me. Jason Wood was my manager for three different seasons. He kind of moved moved up as I moved up in affiliate. So he's somebody that I leaned on. Uh, Casey Candel was a field coordinator, and he was. He was incredible for me. He was kind of my sounding board when things weren't going well. And um, you know, there's just so many guys to to try and give credit to. There's not enough time on this segment to, to thank and give appreciation to those guys. But um, the coaching staff and the support staff of everybody. John Schneider was my double uh, A manager when I was with the Blue Jays. He's now the manager of the Toronto Blue Jays. So um, you know, th- there's just there's just too many people to name. Hunter Mence. Who's the uh, assistant hitting coach with the Toronto Blue Jays now so um, again you know you you find solace in the people that are there with you every day and then you lean on your family and friends so um, you know again there's just too many too many names to to thank or, or to mention
0: great answer, great answer Patrick and you have some great memories and it, it must be nice to to uh, look at the Blue Jays or and, and say, hey. This was my manager back then. This this guy helped me, and they're at the major league level. I can imagine that that's a, a wonderful privilege to be able to say that. Now, spring training, whether it was down in, in Dunedin or in Arizona, uh, tell us about a time where you kind of were, were in awe saying to yourself, hey, that's so-and-so over there. I'm on the same field as them. Who comes to mind?
2: Um, I remember my first First spring training with the Rangers, um, I was on a side field, and and we were practicing. I was with the minor league guys, and something had happened, and they pulled me off the field, and they said, hey, you're going to go catch Cole Hamill's bullpen. Uh And, uh, you know, that was kind of, for me, I was like, oh, man, like, this is, you know, this is incredible. Um, Incredibly professional. He was super nice. Uh, You know, he kind of led me along with what he wanted to do, and I just tried to do my best, um, you know. To, to be there for him and, and help him in ways that he needed, but I'll never forget that day when they had me catch him. He was he was kind of the first big league guy that I had worked with, um, you know, in spring training. And at that point in his career, he was you know a top five pitcher in baseball. So that was a pretty incredible moment. Nice story,
0: yeah. Now getting the job as as the bullpen catcher, Patrick. I can imagine uh, you, you have to have the confidence of the the pitching staff the the coaching staff as well so so you, you you have to have pretty good credentials to get that job
2: hello you there patrick oh yeah i'm sorry i just lost you
0: for a second That's okay yeah i'll i'll, I'll reiterate uh getting the job as a bullpen catcher uh mm-hmm. I, I can imagine that that you have to have uh the confidence of the pitching staff as well as the coaching staff so that that speaks very very well of you
2: uh, yeah, you know, again, uh, catchers are, are servants to the pitching staff, and, you know, whatever they need, we always try and be there um, for them, whether, you know, it's the bullpen catcher, the starting catcher, the backup catcher, the catching coach. Um, we like to be the guys who bring the energy in the room. Um, you know, we like for guys to lean on us. We like to think that we can, you know, help them in any way they they need or see fit. So uh, I, I would like to think that, you know, the guys appreciate it, and, that uh, this organization, the Rangers, has been absolutely incredible. You know, top to bottom, just expressing their gratitude for for everybody in 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 these kinds of positions. Mm-hmm. I, I have to
0: ask you. I just got a text from somebody, Joe Palumbo. Do you know Joe Palumbo?
2: I do know Joe Palumbo, <laughs> okay. left-handed okay. pitcher. Yeah. Another St. John the Baptist Right, guy. Yeah. <laughs>
0: okay. All the all the St. John's people are coming out of the woodwork tonight. Yeah. yeah.
2: Joe he was actually drafted when I was still playing in the minor leagues. Uh, we worked out a little bit together in the off-seasons. Um, and then after I had gotten traded, he got his you know call-up to the big leagues, and he, he made some appearances for the Rangers. But, yes, I, I do know Joe. I actually just recently saw him. Um, he, we were both at a wedding um, of a former teammate, so that was really cool. I hadn't seen him in a few years, so full circle moment for both of us.
0: There we go. Joe Palumbo, well-known in the major league circles as a St. John the Baptist Cougar. There, there you go, guys. So a day as a bullpen catcher, Patrick. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, can, I can imagine it, it, there's much more responsibility than people think. you going down to the bullpen catching a baseball. There, there's got to be more work than that.
2: Uh, yes, sir. You know, it, it, we get there, get there pretty early. We're some of the first guys at the field. If we need to work out, we'll get in our workout so that the gym's available for the guys when they get there and need it. Um, after that, we'll start field prep, whatever baseballs we need on the field, however the field needs to be set up. Uh, we take a large part in field setup. Um we coordinate with all the other coaches, see what they need, uh, you know, get time slots for when guys are gonna be on the field, when they're not, so. Uh, we're, we're kind of the uh, conductors of how the how the batting practice and early work is conducted. And then after that, um, you know, we'll have some time for uh, computer work nowadays. You hear a lot about the analytics. Mm-hmm. Um, myself and the other bullpen catcher for the Rangers, Chase Casale, um, and Josh Frazier, we all have analytic work that usually takes about two hours for preparation, scouting reports, uh, to, hand, to manage the other team. Um, you know, then we'll have pitcher stretch um, pitchers will throw their sides bullpens whatever they need batting practice we you know help coordinate during batting practice so we're there out there for that we run in quick after batting practice grab a shower grab some food quick and then we head down to the bullpen so that we're down there for the starter or anybody that needs anything pregame and then uh, and then we're down there pregame for you know or the rest of the game for whenever guys need us
0: yeah busy day man uh, see, kids, it's it's not all uh, just catching a pitcher. There's a lot more preparation that goes into the, the guys out there in the bullpen. Now, Patrick, once you get the call from the dugout, who usually mm-hmm. calls, the manager or the pitching coach?
2: Uh, it's usually the pitching coach.
0: So Mike Maddox would call down to you guys. Correct. Yeah. And what's the procedure? Is it different for every pitcher?
2: Oh uh, yeah, each guy has their own set routines. Um you hear a lot about the plyo balls and stuff, you know, the the weighted baseballs now that guys throw. Uh a bunch of those guys will fire some of those off the wall down there. Um but guys, you know, regardless of their routine, usually get ready pretty quick, probably about 5 to 8 throws with the catcher standing up and then we're right into it. Uh a lot of times, you know, there's not there's not a lot of time to get loose down there, so no. um it's kind of buckshot at times, but other times, you know, it's, uh, hey, if this guy, this next runner gets on base, he's in the game, and two innings later nobody's been on, and that guy's kind of been up and down. So, again, it's um, it's just being ready for the moment for whatever the pitching ne- pitchers need, whatever Ma- Coach Maddox needs. Um, so it's, uh, you know, it depends on the guy, but when push comes to shove, everybody gets ready pretty quick. Tell us a little
0: bit, Pat. Pat Cantwell with us tonight on Sports Talk New York from the Texas Rangers. Talk about Bruce Boshi a little bit. I mean, the guy's going to the Hall of Fame for the work he did with the San Francisco Giants. Here he comes along, first-year manager. Chris Young takes a chance, bringing him out of retirement. He wins a World Series. Uh He must be doing something right. Talk a little about the, the, the demeanor, Uh just how he goes about handling the ball club, Patrick
2: yeah you know um, Boach is incredible. He's very even keel um, he's never too high or too low. When he speaks, everybody listens, you know, and that's what you're looking for in a leader he uh you know he listens to the input from the coaching staff he he asks everybody uh, from the top down doesn't matter what your position is, what your role is. He wants to hear how things are going, what the vibes are, how the guys are doing um, and I think that plays a huge role in it. He knows when to step on the gas and when to pull off. Um, but I think the biggest thing with Boach is that he's so even keel throughout the course of the game, and I think the guys feed off that. So there's never any nervous energy down there. Um, you know, it, it's always one cool, calm, constant voice, um, and that's, I think, you know, the easiest way to operate as a player.
0: Nice way to put it, Patrick, yeah. Now, I, I want to ask you, you're down there in the bullpen for for the game uh, there's access to the crowd. What's what's about the funniest thing somebody's ever yelled down to you guys that kind of made you break up because
2: the the guy's funny. Oh man, I I don't know if it's, and some of that stuff's appropriate. To you say can't them. say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, there you know there's some good stuff. Uh, I honestly I honestly can't. The sad part is I can't think of anything that I could say and not get you guys or myself in trouble right now. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But just know that the the insults are uh, a plenty every single game, uh, yeah. even when the team's struggling. You know, at home <laughs> we get oh, man. down man, Yeah, there, so. I can
0: imagine. Yeah, you look, uh, think about how it is here, Patrick. You know, with oh yeah the abuse. <laughs> that, that's good. Yeah. That, that's good. Now, uh, did you have a chance to work with Jacob Degrom?
2: I did. Yes, Jake is an incredible baseball player, even better person. Um, he is incredibly professional about his work. He's very diligent with his work, and uh, you know, unfortunate the injury ended his season early. But an absolute professional uh, before that and after that. So um, he's he's just incredible to be around.
0: Yeah, we feel a little uh, rough towards him because the way the way he left and everything. But uh, he, he he don't get wrong. He he was a tremendous pitcher while he was here, and and uh, I hope he comes back next year. How, how about
2: Scherzer? Again, um, never seen somebody uh, just so intense. His intensity is is his calling card, and um, you know his first day there, everybody saw it, and I think the guys fed off that from the clubhouse. So. Uh, again, absolute professional in everything that he does, and his intensity is just something that I, up until that point, had never really seen, especially in his side work. Game work, you know, guys can can get up and ramp the intensity up, but his bullpens are, are just as intense as his his game work, and that's, you know, you don't see that very often. So that was incredible to be a part of and work with uh, as soon as he got over there.
0: Yeah, I can imagine, Pat. Pat Cantwell from the Rangers with us tonight now did you have walk-up music in the minors
2: Patrick uh I did yes what what Um, did you use I used PYT by Michael Jackson for most of my career (laughs) you're kidding
1: (laughs) yeah for, Uh.
2: for whatever reason it it uh it always resonated with the crowd people loved it um and uh after my first year and I realized that the crowd liked it I had a good first year and I stuck with it and even in my down years when people were telling me to you know Maybe I should switch it up. It was uh, was one of those things where I was like, "Ah, oh, my first year, I had a good year. I got
0: to stick with it." No, nope, <laughs> stick with it. You're right. That's uh, that's like the guy with with the Nationals a couple of years ago with with uh, Baby Shark. Yeah, you know, he wasn't embarrassed by that at all, he stuck with it, and they won the World Series. So, <laughs> yep. Oh, great story. Now, what, what's the most famous guy that you have in your cell phone?
2: Um. I'm probably that New Yorkers would would understand probably probably Mr. Degrom. Okay. Uh, so I would I would say I would probably say Jacob Degrom.
0: Okay. Now, do you guys get together, or, or that's just for for professional use only?
2: Uh, that's more for professional use. You know, most of the guys in the off season. Um, Everybody's from all over the country. So They're home, yeah. Usually about a week after the season's over, unless they live down here. Everybody's, you know, everybody's gone. There's there's group chats and stuff that kind of go off for guys that'll be working out here or um, you know guys that are going to come down. So we're all always on the same page, but uh, more for professional use than anything.
0: Gotcha. Okay. Now, will you be back with the Rangers next season?
2: I will be back with the Rangers next season. Um, I was fortunate enough to. Um, receive another contract offer. So I will be back with the Rangers next year and, and looking forward to all the things that next year has to offer.
0: That is wonderful. Yeah, hopefully you guys do well. Uh, beat the Yankees. Uh, yeah. I know you're a Yankee fan, so I'm sorry to say that. Uh, what was I going to say? My next question. Uh, next season. Oh, I hate when I go by. It comes from being an old man, Patrick. Uh, <laughs> Next season. Oh, when when do you report? When do you guys report pitchers and catchers?
2: Uh so I will usually go down about a week early and it's usually around Valentine's Day. Mm-hmm. Uh so probably if I had to guess, I don't know it off the top of my head. Probably February twelfth I would say, pitchers and catchers report or the thirteenth. So I'll be down there around February fifth or sixth.
0: Okay, sounds good. Well, Patrick Cantwell, it's been a real pleasure having you with us tonight. I thank you for taking time out of your Sunday evening to spend it with us back here on the island. I look forward to keeping track of your career and with the Rangers in 2024, Patrick.
2: Thank you so much for having me on. Love the the PYT in the background right now. (laughs) There we go. Appreciate you guys and your time. I hope everybody has a happy holiday.
0: Thank you, Patrick. All the best. That's Patrick Campbell, folks. Coming up next on Sports Talk New York, we will talk to another great author, Gary Morgenstein, about his latest work. So please, stick around, folks.
1: You're listening to Sports Talk New York on Long Island's WGBB. And now, back to the show.
0: All right, folks. Welcome back to Sports Talk New York on WGBB here in Merrick, Long Island, New York. We're coming down the home stretch on this Sunday night, December the 10th, in case you're just waking up. We're probably going to start out uh, the new year with some more Brooklyn Dodger baseball talk. That that really never gets old with a lot of listeners. Uh, but before that, we have our holiday show, which is lined up on next Sunday, December 17th. And we have a really special show lined up for you folks. And we look forward to letting the cat out of the bag and letting everyone know who will be with us that night later on next week or this week, probably by Friday Uh, I may do it a little little earlier because I'm so excited about letting you folks know who's coming on with us. Also, uh, we have to chat about the Baseball Writers Association vote for the Hall of Fame, which uh, will take place, as I said, on Tuesday, January 23rd. And everybody's looking forward to that to see who joins Jimmy Leland uh, on the stage at Cooperstown. In July. Well, our next guest, ladies and gentlemen, is another local fellow, a Stony Brook alumni. He's a prolific author in his own right, and we're going to discuss his latest work tonight. He's written six novels, including uh, the science fiction baseball novel, A Mound Over Hell. And I think uh, that's about the Mets season last year. Uh, book one, In the Dark Depths, set on the eve of the 22nd century after America has lost World War III to the Islamic Empire. Interesting, folks. Now book two will be published by BHS Press next year. I welcome to the show tonight. Gary Morgenstein. Gary,
1: good evening. Good evening, Bill. Thanks for having me. Glad to be on.
0: It's wonderful to have you with us tonight, Gary. And I want you to set set the stage for us right now. Imagine that it's year
1: Twenty ninety eight. Well, and America, is, as you say, has and the West have lost World War III to the Islamic Empire. Democracy is dead. America is run by something called the family, which is a, like a nanny state, a totalitarian nanny state. And baseball is disgraced, and baseball is the theme of the three novels in the trilogy. And de- baseball is associated with the old great America, which has failed us. And it's down to two teams about to begin its final season ever at crumbling Amazon Stadium in Yankee Stadium, where out-of-shape players are represented by athletic holograms supervised by robot umpires before crowds of about 20 fans. Wow. And then we, we take off, yep. So yeah. it's the first one is Mound Over Hell, which has been called um, 1984 meets Shoeless Joe. Book two is A Fastball for Freedom, which was called The Dystopian Field of Dreams. And now, right. um, book three, the final one, that dug out the piece which former Newsday Sunday sports editor John Quinn said is Mickey, Willie, and the Duke meet Nietzsche, Freud, and Vonnegut as the boys of summer save the world and build someone better.
0: Yeah, those are pretty pretty high accolades for you there.
1: <laughs> yeah, not too heavy. Right? Yeah, no, not I too, like yes. it.
0: I like it. Now, baseball has slowly declined from fan disinterest. Now, I find that interesting during World War III, uh, the baseball players launched a terrorist attack at Amazon Stadium, which it, people should know is the former Yankee Stadium.
1: Yes. Yes. And they, because they um, felt the government um, was not prosecuting the war more vigorously. This is taking baseball social activism on steroids, so to speak. You know, when you write dystopian novels, you like people to see how things could happen and how um, you're not predicting necessarily, but you want to make it credible. Well, unfortunately, the terrorist attack failed, and so baseball was simply outlawed, in a sense. They destroyed all the um, ballparks, except for Amazon Stadium, leaving it as a a, a crumbling memory. They trashed, um, they burnt down the Hall of Fame. Fortunately, some of the memorabilia was saved by the custodians of the memories. And baseball seems to be circling the toilet and so, on opening day, Puppy Needick, the baseball historian, who was a former standout college pitcher, um, he celebrates his birthday, drinks way too much bourbon. Some things don't change in, in the twenty-second century. Right. wakes up Wakes up the next morning with a hangover and sees this you know, fat old guy asleep on his on his kitchen floor. And he smells the guy. Says, so "Who are you?" And the guy, you know, finally says, "Well, I'm Mickey Mantle." And Puppy says, "You know, Really? This is not what I need. I'm about to lose my job, and I have a bad hangover. Well, then a few days later, a courtly southern gentleman arrives named Ty Cobb. And then to to, to finish the trio um, comes Mushi Lopez, um, one of the great ball players, the Shohei Otani of the late 21st century. It's a woman. She holds all the switch hitting hitting records, a great left-handed pitcher, and they help bring back baseball. They revive the interest in baseball which becomes a pawn between those who want peace in the world and those who want to start World War IV. Well, so as we get into Baseball and into Book Two and a Fastball for Freedom, um, our heroes, Puppy Neenick and, and his ex-wife Annette Ramos, have fled to um, England, to the, the Islamic Empire, the Caliphate of London. Um, and there he's captured and he persuades the authorities, the Islamic authorities, to let him set up the Caliphate Baseball Association. Okay. Okay, right. So yeah. um yeah, so he find there are POWs in, in the camp where he was held who were all many of the great players who um fought for America and were captured, um and they have been in prison for twenty years. Now, these guys are not in the greatest shape, but they have vengeance. <laughs> yeah. So he, they yeah, they want they want to sell some scores, so it becomes questions of pride and it's played in High Park against a team of, of Muslims, Muslim baseball players. Now, the, the, the British fans have no idea what's going on, but they see baseball as like a rallying cry against the uh, totalitarianism of the Islamic Empire. And just so everyone uh-huh. understands, it's people looking for freedom there, too. They're Not just, you know, the, 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 the British and the French and everyone, but many Muslims want um, an era of enlightenment and they want everyone wants more freedom which is what it's about really that baseball is the driving force baseball you know remember when baseball was a national pastime right Mm -hmm. and that's that's no more but that was a different kind of america and so since i'm a sentimental fool and one of my characters the first time he goes into a baseball park uh into a stadium and he sees all the green and he says it looks like The front lawn, God's front lawn. So it it touches, you know, because baseball, I don't want to, please, I don't want to, you know, uh, dis football or basketball or hockey, but it's not the same. No. It doesn't. right. It It does. Yeah. It it, it is not. You you can't say, I mean, I don't have no idea who's the all-time leading scorer in the NBA. And do the numbers matter? No. But when you say 5'11", 56, right? Uh Uh-huh. And that's. And that's, so, that's what baseball does. And so it's, it, it starts its revival in Book 2, and in Book 3 it's in full swing. Baseball or the robots, there's um, a, a large um, robot community in America, and then they're actually fighting the war against the Islamic Empire, where it has become World War IV. Mm-hmm. Um, so they rebuild all the ballparks. And Puppy is now the commissioner. And baseball has been brought back, but it's, the interest is waning. Because the fans don't understand the the, um, the rules, they don't. Um, they're not allowed to root vigorously. Because back in the day, and we, might uh, people can identify with this, polarization hit America. So you, so they cut back on being able to root for your home team and getting angry at someone else. Oh you boy! Yeah. Right. So, all right, so if things like that. So Puppy says, "All right, this is not working out. We're going back to the twentieth century. That's it." It's no 21st century rules anymore. They're all gone. We're going to go back to you know um, the hit and run play was like banned because it was a trick play. They're going to um, you can have the p- brush back pitches. You can take out the fielder with a slide. You can t- you you can have complete games again. And the and the stadiums are restored to their original names like Shea Stadium. Hello, Forbes mm-hmm. Field, Tiger Stadium st- instead of these monstrosity names. I don't even know what baseball stadium names mean anymore. Right. It,
0: it, it's okay. really it's really uh, a look into the mirror, Gary. Gary yes. Morgenstein with us tonight talking about his latest book. Now, what I found interesting is the promotional days are brought back. Bat day, ball day, bobblehead days return. When you're not supposed to get anything unless you work for it, they're giving away free items at the ballpark.
1: Yes, and um, radio broadcasts come back. Because opinion journalism was banned, because that got out of control once upon a time, as some people out there might might recognize. Um, but also, what it was banned was um, celebrity worship, um, and along with, by the way, social media was is banned under the anti-narcissism laws. Uh-huh. Because you actually you actually have to think for yourself; mm-hmm. you can't be influenced. What a notion! Bill individual yeah. responsibility. So. Baseball is now taking off, and it's really threatening the government. It's getting, you know, there's too many people who are going against this tight control, so they decide, well, they have to rein baseball in. Um, And we have, before they do it, it's the first old-timers' day since 2048, where you have the the, the near-22nd century team, and then you have the descendants of 20th century players like... um, uh, Ilsa Gibson and Garcia Marischal and Tennessee Bench and Myrna um, James Musial. So, so you have you you, you bring it all back, all, all the purity. But they um, clamp down the, the government. That's it. It's too much. We like we want serenity. We want to control all facets of your life. Um, so they say, well, um, you, you you're not allowed to. Um, you can't. We're going to close down the ballparks. So baseball has. And they only open it up to people who are baseball fans. Okay, which is a real thing. Okay, so but then there's um, a, a shadow ballparks open up fields. They go into the public parks and they rename them the twentieth century players, like Bill Freehan Park and Reggie Jackson Field, and the Two Willies for this for the Giants. And at a certain point, the um, the dynamite is hit when um a young ticket taker at Fenway Park accidentally. Wore his great, his grandfather's red, red socks, uh, socks. Uh, okay? Yeah. And he didn't know he was doing anything wrong, but he was violating the rules. And one of the robot soldiers went up to him and says, You can't work here anymore. And he touches the robot soldier and the soldier hits him and kills him. Yeah. A little, and that's, that's a little all. drastic. <laughs> so then there's protests across the country.
0: Now, what, people Gary, hate. what are the similarities and the differences between the society that George Orwell tells us about and the society that you bring about in, in your trilogy?
1: Well, it's pretty similar. Okay. It's pretty similar. There's doublespeak. Um, there's control. There's uh, a sense that everyone has to be communal and work together. And there's nothing wrong with that, but you begin to lose your identity. And our history has been rewritten so extensively that really only going back to baseball history and aligning it with pop culture can they begin to figure out what really happened. So baseball is, uh, gives a sense of, uh, of enormous pride to people.
0: Now, what about the clowns? Tell us about the clowns. <laughs> I, I found that interesting.
1: Well, yeah, they have baseball clowns coming back, uh uh-huh. entertaining the fans. Because now baseball is just throwing off all the shackles. Baseball is the roadway. Um, baseball um, is the process by which America is going to regain its democracy because there's never been demonstrations against the government like there has been with baseball. And they, um, there's a pivotal moment um, at Yankee Stadium where they square off. And, you know, you've got Mickey Mantle running down. He's a robot, Mickey. Mm-hmm. um Ty Cobb is running down and there's about to be, you know, a violent confrontation and will they crush baseball? Fortunately they don't. Fortunately they don't. And I don't want to have too many spoilers, but I would tell you that um there is a 2099 World Series and the fate of the world is at stake.
0: Boy oh boy. That uh, puts puts me on the edge of my seat, Gary. Gary <laughs> Morgenstein with us tonight on Sports Talk New York. And the idea for for this trilogy, how the heck did you come up
1: with it, Gary? <laughs> well, it's very straight. You know, you, when you hear how the sausage is made, this is uh, May 2015, and my wife and I were having Sunday breakfast, everything bagels with a schmear, of course, right? listening to the Beatles, and the idea just popped into my head. What about America, uh, which has lost World War Three, grandma's running the country, And baseball has its final season. And as someone um, who grew up in the shadow of Yankee Stadium, baseball has always been special to me. Because what I want to recapture and what drives the book is the magic of baseball and the magic of possibilities. And that touches everything. Because you think, you know, you've always heard it's like the law of physics. It's really impossible to hit a baseball. I mean, how do they do it with that little reaction time, right? It's. It's almost defies belief, and there's something very special about baseball. and right. when you you know with the the first time you've gone to the game with a parent, it's something I mean I remember going to my first game at Yankee Stadium with my father sitting behind a pole. yeah, right right I mean, yeah. There's, there's, you know there's something that is really part and parcel. Of America, uh, you know, in my wor- in my world, I say in 2035 the minor leagues are going to close. But that's when you talk about minor league baseball, for example, that's purity. I, I'm I'm here in Brooklyn, and we you know we see the cyclones. It's beautiful. You you've got the, the real cyclone roller coaster in this di- distance. You have the, the ocean breeze. Right. You have the hot dogs, and you're watching baseball. And it's still baseball. It, it might it's not major league baseball. It's not that skill. But the rules are all the same, right? It, it's sort of surreal. It is surreal. It yeah. is surreal. It is surreal. That's why we have to support baseball, which is why I've devoted you know, eight years of my life writing the book, these books.
0: Well, I tell you, it's it's riveting. Tell us about the clowns in the giant uniforms. That's a, that's another uh, point that that's, that sticks with me.
1: Well, because when we, they had the. Um, the, the shadow fields. They, they got locked out of the ballparks. They said that's at the major league season. If you're not going to obey the rules and listen to the rules of the of a family, a society, um, there's not going to be any baseball. So they had um, in North Beach. There was there was a, a rambunctious contest between supporters of Willie Mays and Willie McCovey to select the name of the field. So clowns in Giants uniforms trotted around the field chanting the competing statistics of the of the two giant legends and. Um, two Willie's Field was born. Ah, okay, there we go. Right, right. Yeah, but so it, it, but baseball was able to always react and respond, and um, and, and no matter how much they tried to control it and um, limit booing and um, not allowing you to have worship, you know, have a fan, you know, support your individual fans and your your, your players and your teams, the the, the fans resisted.
0: Yeah, I mean, you go to a game today, Gary, and 75% of the people have somebody's name on the back of their shirt. It's not yeah. their own.
1: Yes. Well, and in, in the novels, um, someone is the first person to get arrested for wearing um the name of his favorite player, Robin Yount, at, county, at, at Milwaukee's County Stadium. Uh-huh. So they make him take off his jersey and go sit in the, um, out there in, in the bleachers without his, his jersey, and so, other fans in sympathy all take off their jerseys and start chanting "No Melanoma." So, <laughs> yeah, True. So You know, because so, there's a lot. There's got to be humor, because it, it's you know, there's a there's a darkness in the trilogy, but there's also light. And I think as a writer, you have to show that. Uh, ultimately, um, the world is saved by faith, and I'm not talking religious faith and, or faith, you know, belief in God. I'm talking faith in ourselves and each other. And by baseball,
2: right?
0: And and how critically acclaimed uh, is your trilogy? Talk us, talk to us a little bit about the accolades and and the positive uh, feedback you've received on the books.
1: Well, people, you know, just love it. Say it's a it's an epic adventure. That it's powerful. That there's um, it's it's terrifyingly timely, especially what's going on now. Uh, when I wanted to have America lose World War III, because I thought I wanted, I wanted America to fail, okay? Or right, we're going to lose World War III, but who would we lose it to? And, uh, well, you know, to do it to Russia, well, that's been done before. You know, Red Dawn, it's, that's China. Well, that would be kind of boring, but it, Islam is, um, you know, it's a, it's a definite clash of cultures. Right. And I thought that would really show up. But what I've done is, as a writer, you must do this. You must show all layers of people. You can't have you know mustache twirling villains, right? Mm-hmm. You have to show people who are in their in their surroundings trying to do the best they can. Mm-hmm. And I've, and you show respect. And no one has I tell you, in two books, no one has called me, you know how dare you say that you're a bigot or nothing because they see how hard I've worked to make it realistic.
0: And and the uh, the fact that you've chose the Islamic
1: nation uh, is
0: frighteningly real. Yes. Yeah.
1: Frighteningly real. Yeah. 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 Yes. And I and I don't, you know. And again, I don't mince um, words. I make it, you know. It's it's kind of scary, the, the the what if, the what could be, but ultimately, ultimately, people survive, and people fight back. And in, in the, and what makes all books, of course, are the characters. And I have really a bunch of ordinary people who only wanted to get along, who just wanted, you know, nice jobs and a good meal and someone to love and, and good health get caught up in and become extraordinary heroes. And they become greater than themselves. And I think when you write novels and when you, when you read a novel, when you watch a movie or a television series, what lingers is other people. And the people you identify with. And I think I've really um, created a really um, a wonderful cast of, of very different, diverse people.
0: I agree. Gary Morgenstein with us tonight on Baseball uh, in the Future, uh, so to speak. And uh, we're moving right along here on uh, Sports Talk New York. Have you had any feedback from inside the baseball community,
1: Gary? Well, I'm, uh, uh, Billy Sample um, called it a... Remember Billy Sample with the sure, Yankees? yeah. Yeah, he called it, you know, an out-of-sight grand slam home run. Oh, yeah, people have been very... Uh, Joe Posnowski. Um, uh, yeah, I've a, a lot of, you know, Fenway Nation. I mean, if someone from Fenway Nation likes three likes books written by a Yankee fan... <laughs> right? Um, and... and you know, people don't realize all the, or maybe they don't really think about all the wonderful literature over the years, and all the great writers. I'm not putting myself there, but all the great writers, you know, Philip Roth and Damon Runyon and and Bernard Malamud and, and um, yeah, W. A. Kinsella. I mean, just wonderful writers who have used baseball as a canvas. Mm-hmm. You know, talking about the relationship with you know uh, between a father and a son. And Field of Dreams, because baseball is about the dreams. True.
0: So that, right.
1: I mean, and that's, and that's, and I think it's, it's, to love baseball, you have to be sentimental. And I said I'm sentimental. And I think one of the reasons that baseball is not the national pastime anymore, it's, you know, forget essentially what's on the field per se, but we're not a sentimental nation anymore. No. Which, yeah, that's best. right. Right. It's, it's gone we're not we you know we don't feel like we used to we're too busy yelling and you know baseball requires thought baseball requires taking a breath baseball requires looking around the field and seeing how they've shifted the, you know the, the, the field is right it it requires getting into the strategies it's not bang 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 like ba- like basketball and football true We you don't right you don't have time very
0: well put Gary yes I agree with you 100% you you know what I would like to see if you could approach uh, the author series at the baseball hall and see if they might have you in for for a a talk and a signing perhaps
1: oh that's a wonderful idea
0: yeah I could give you the name of somebody to contact up there and uh, we'll see if if, uh, that might be something that uh, is worth your while
1: I would love that That would be wonderful. That would be wonderful. And I meant to say that that also what happens is um, a lot of um, fans sprout up in the books. So the like the friends of Tom Seaver, the friends of Ernie Banks, all competing. Who's going to be the the primary fan spokesperson? Because it even though baseball has been outlawed for years and fallen into disfavor, the stories are still um, carried on. And you know books are hidden, even though you're not you weren't supposed to um have you know a book about the greatest hurlers of the twentieth century that was banned because that was considered almost treasonous, but people kept the flame alive right like a- it's almost like a flame of of freedom in a sense, and that's what i I try to connect the two
0: yeah we we won't uh, delve into it any any further, Gary, because I don't want to uh give anything away and, and give the ending away, but uh, we'll just say that uh, people should read this. I think it's an important uh, series of books.
1: Well, thank you very much. I really appreciate coming on. It's, it's always a joy to, to talk to you.
0: And uh, wh- what's next step? How, how, where are you taking it next, besides maybe going up to Cooperstown?
1: Well, I'm going, doing a lot of interviews, doing a lot of podcasts. Uh-huh. Um, you know, it, it, when I have... In baseball, um, sometimes I also write plays.
0: Oh, interesting. And okay.
1: Yes, Yeah. So a, a play, an award-winning play of mine, actually, a Broadway World award-winning play, "A Black and White Cookie." Um, over the past summer, it had it was uh, premiered in Los Angeles and also in New Jersey, and it's um, and the main character. It's a, it's a, it's an interesting story. It's a, in my books, I try to find ways to and, and work to bring people together because I think there's more that unites us than divides us. And I think as a writer, it's one thing to point fingers and yell and say this is wrong, which is what writers do. You hold, like you just said, you hold up a mirror to society. Mm -hmm. But you also have to show the light. It's not enough anymore. You've got to say, well, there's a way forward. And in, for example, Black and White Cookie, um, it's it's a story of a conservative African-American, big New New York Mets fan, new stand owner, who um, opens his new stand in the East Village, finally after COVID, only to get hit by an exorbitant rent increase. And um, he has to close it up and retire. So enter a longtime uh, customer, um, a sugar communist Jew. Okay. Who persuades them to fight back. So they have an unlikely friendship until they realize, you know, superficially, it seems like they have nothing in common. But they really do. Right. And I think, you know, when you write, when you create characters, when they interact, you see that. Yes, sometimes you think, well, someone you're not going to get along with them because of this or that. I mean, nowadays, just one little thing could set someone off, right? Uh, that you disagree with, but mm-hmm. this, but there, but we're all people at the end.
0: Well, that's that's uh, a very good way to look at things, and it's. Uh... Great job you've done, Gary. Gary Morgenstein with us tonight. I thank you for taking time out of your Sunday night, Gary, to be with us. And uh, give, the, give the folks the name of the books again and way, where you can get them.
1: Yes. Um, it's Mound Over Hell, uh, which is it's, it's called um, 1984 Meets Shoeless Joe. Book two is A Fastball for Freedom, A Dystopian Field of Dreams. And now A Dugout to Peace, which former Newsday sports editor John Quinn, says, Nicky, Willie, and the Duke, Nietzsche, Freud, and Vonnegut. And you go Amazon, Barnes & Noble, bookshop.org, or you just your local bookstore.
0: Outstanding. Well, Gary, uh, I hope the folks enjoyed uh, having you with us as much as I did, and we will keep in touch with you to see how things are going, and I'll contact you offline uh, about uh, what we spoke about taking it on the road.
1: That's terrific. Thank you so much, Bill. Thank you, everyone, for listening. That's Gary, Happy holidays.
0: Gary Morgenstein, folks. Well, that will do it for me tonight on Sports Talk New York. I'd like to thank my guests, Rennie LaRue, Rob Van Stone, Patrick Canwell, and Gary Morgenstein, and, of course, my engineer, Brian Graves, and you guys for joining us. See you next week, Sunday evening, December 17th, special holiday show. Till then, be safe, be well. Bill Donahue, wishing you a good evening, folks. The views expressed in the previous program did not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB.